uh, Sadie, if you'd like to read us in. So, my kind of formula that I've been using to describe the episodes works really well for this one. <laughs> well, I can imagine, yeah. Because this is series one, episode 11, Out of Mind, Out of Sight, in which metaphorical invisibility becomes real invisibility. Yes. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> what happens in this episode. That is exactly what happens. And uh, keeping with my kind of transiting Buffy around the world thing, um, mm -hmm. most of the time this is Invisible Girl, Invisible Girl, Invisible Girl, Invisible Girl, Invisible Girl. Uh, apart from in Latin America, uh, where in Latin American Spanish it's crazy and invisible. Um, crazy invisible? Crazy and invisible. Crazy and invisible. But the thing is, because because like you build the gender into your adjectives in Spanish, mm -hmm. it kind of sort of, it, it sort of translates as crazy and invisible girl. So they've, okay. they've just decided like, no guys, she's not just invisible. <laughs> you gotta know she's crazy. Cause she is, she's also crazy. That is an important part yeah. of the plot. <laughs> and the thing is, I think I remember this um, episode being called invisible girl back in the day. I think out of mind, mm -hmm. out of sight, uh, it was like an alternative title that became the sort of, you know, oh, canon title. I, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure. But but yeah, um, most of them went for Invisible Girl, except for Latin America, where they were like, she's not just invisible, guys. Wait up. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. <laughs> you just need a little bit more information about the plot in the title. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Um. So Cordelia's glorious in this episode. This is a Cordelia episode and... Such, so much Cordelia. So much Cordelia at her best. She, her comic timing really comes through in this episode. Uh, Charisma's comic timing. Charisma Carpenter. But yeah, she's she's wonderful. So it, it opens with her being wonderful with uh, Buffy. She Buffy bumps into her and drops all of her like maces and shit on the ground. And like her communion wafers and her <laughs> steaks and all that. Yeah. And then she looks up and she's like, looks up at Cordelia and she's like, oh, you're probably wondering what I'm doing with this stuff. And Cordelia's just like, wow, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so beautifully delivered. Like her timing, her face, she's so deadpan. I just love her so much. <laughs> My eyes are hazel, Helen Keller. So we go, we go to the classroom where they're learning about, is it the Merchant of Venice? The Merchant of Venice, yeah, with Shylock. But I guess it sets up the whole idea of of the of the episode, right? Yes. Because it's all about like you know this guy who's sort of you know he's marginalized and then he he wants to take revenge because mm. you know is it I think he asks for like a pound of flesh. That's like the famous thing in the in the Merchant of Venice. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So it's all about like you know this marginalized character who like wants to take revenge on the the uh, hegemonic culture, I guess. Um, and then Cordelia is just like, I'm not buying that. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. So. So yeah, I think this episode is interesting because it really asks you to almost pick a side. It yeah. asks you: Are you on the side of the populars or are you on the side of the invisibles? Mm. Uh, and I guess we're going to have to grapple with that as we as we move forward to this episode. Which side are you on? What you know? What we'll 
we'll touch on it as we'll, we we'll, as okay. we as we move okay. through. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um so yeah, and I absolutely love when Cordelia's like gives us an example. She's like, Yeah, this one time I hit this girl in my car on her bike and then suddenly it was all about her leg and my pain meant nothing. Yeah, oh that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> that is like one of the best Cordelia moments in the entire show. It's actually one of the did... best moments in the show. Yeah, 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 totally. How did we say that Cordelia would vote if she was around today? Mm. Well, I had the opinion that Cordelia would basically vote for whoever served her interests at that time, like mm-hmm. who 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 whoever basically she could um like uh lobby, she would vote for. And mm. I can imagine, you know, in the late 90s that meant, you know, the Clintons and the Democrats, mm-hmm. and she would have been totally in there with the Democrats, but then I imagine she also would have been in there with, with George Bush, just because, you know, mm. that would have been who she could have lobbied at that particular time. Now, mm. Jamie's convinced that she would be like a QAnon Instagram mom, um, ah. if, if, if we were talking about like today, so... Mm, okay, interesting. But I, yeah, I had another I can... theory, and I also thought, and it comes into this Populars Invisibles, where I'm like, mm-hmm. well, what does this say about like tone policing and like what is a acceptable recourse for an oppressed minority? Okay. Do you know, because it's like, oh, well, you know, it's also like, oh, it's so sad what happens to Marcy. But at the end of the day, if she actually tries to get any kind of, you know, revenge for what happened, it's like, no but that's too far Marcy you're not allowed to do that like you just have to be Uh you're someone that we just have to feel sorry for you're not allowed to actually you know take things into your hands I'm not saying I'm in face of um, in favor of facial mutilation but you know just if we're discussing the politics of the show I think I think we have to take into the fact that you know Marcy is is who she is because of what was done to her you know I'm I'm very much in favour of facial mutilation when it involves tying people into tinsel-covered thrones and showing them a sign in gold glitter saying, learn. I mean, I know that is the only way you'd ever mutilate my face. (laughs) (laughs) I think, like, there's a certain level of extra where face mutilation is perfectly acceptable. And Marcy's just hit that level right there. Well, how about color me totally self-involved? Oh, there is a moment though where um, Cordelia comes up to the teacher and she's like, oh, I've just got so many thoughts and like they all contradict each other. And um, then the teacher goes like, oh, I'm just like so happy to talk to someone who's actually done the reading. And Willow is right behind her and Willow like rolls her eyes and walks out of the uh, room. I spotted that. Yeah. I spotted that. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> moment. Beautiful moment. And then um, Mitch is in the locker room. Mm-hmm. The boys locker room. And those two boys come in and they do the most unconvincing leaning on lockers that I've ever seen. Yeah. They come in to speak to him and the two of them like just like they like matching kind of put a matching elbow um and do this matching pose on top of the locker and say something really casual. Can't remember what, something about like, are you going to the bronze tonight? Oh he says that he's picking up his tux and he has to look smart. And then they go, you got, you, 
you you gotta look you gotta look good to be on Cordelia's arm. Um, that's right. And then he says, "Oh, it's not her arm I'm looking to be on." <laughs> and then he gets hit by a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And we are not even at the opening credits yet. No, the opening so credits. So much happens. has happened. So much has happened. They really cram a lot into these episodes. Yeah, well, this episode, this episode, uh, listeners, to me is like, it's like the best that, not the best Buffy can be, but it's like the best Buffy could be within season one parameters. Mm -hmm. Do you know, like in season two, it's much better, but like season one had a certain vibe and they obviously couldn't go beyond that vibe and with Mm -hmm. out of mind, out of sight, they figured out, like, this is the best thing we can do, like, within this formula, to me. I, and they did it. And they did it. And this episode is just sublime. It's just beautiful. Like, if Beyonce made an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it would be this episode, I think. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I could see that, yeah. Mm, like, you know, it's just, it's just very, it's just neat. Yeah, it's, just, it's neat. It's succinct. Like, it is within genre. Like, it is a genre mm. piece. But it is mm-hmm. it's perfect within that. And and actually yeah. it was Jamie pointed this out. It's actually like quite uh David Lynch. Ah uh, yeah. Like more so than like I think a lot of the other Buffy episodes are quite like almost more like horror, more like uh-huh. more like Halloween or Scream or or mm-hmm. something like that there. Whereas this feels very like kind of floaty David, like Lynch y, yeah. like quite like um very like personal archetypes and you know stuff like that there so yeah i feel yeah yeah i can see that love it so cordelia is getting people to vote for her as the may queen as the may queen the may queen which sounds very pagan doesn't it yeah did you guys have like a may queen or anything in no no castle well we had uh may was may is the month of mary uh mm. we would have a may altar uh oh yeah i remember your mum telling me that you had like a really religious teacher one year and you got really into like yes he's like started building a may altar in your room and your parents were like what the shit is this <laughs> my mum told you that <laughs> she did <laughs> <laughs> yeah miss larkin um yeah you just came like you were dead young like seven or something uh, no younger i was uh younger I was, pre-buffy i was six it was pre-buffy um, but like can you imagine just like you're sending your kid to school and then you come you find them in their room building a may altar but like, we like you had no why choice. are you building an altar in your room you, you had no choice in ireland because like you know all of the primary schools were like run by the church unless you were in the mm, city mm, so like you know and um yeah uh so may may was the month of mary and you were supposed to build a may altar which was like a basically a shrine to mary and you could build it anywhere in your house and it would, like, basically you would pray to it, like, every day in May and you'd pray to Mary. And just basically, you know, just, 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 just give her, send her some good vibes, you know. Send her, mm-hmm. send her those good vibes because she was Mary and, you know, she gave birth to God and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, I had, like, a bed that had, like, three drawers underneath it. And I took one of the drawers out so that instead of being a drawer, it was just, like, a big kind of rectangular gap. Mm-hmm. and i bought a couple of statues of mary and i put some candles and lights and you bought statues of mary oh but they're very cheap in ireland like you could buy them you got very blessed yeah i was very blessed and and we were supposed to um pray to it and then there was like 
a song you would sing in May uh, to Mary. And I can't remember all of the lyrics. I remember the first three lines went, May is the month of Mary, the month we all love so well. Mary is God's own mother, Jesus as well. That's (laughs) all I remember. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! So, so yeah, I used to, I used to have my May altar to Mary, but only that particular year. Like, I, ah, um, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't a particularly religious child, but like the one year that we had this very religious teacher, I was just like a good student. So I was like, okay, this is what a good yeah. student is this year. I'll be really into Mary, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think if my teacher had told me to, well, I already just was just talking to you about how much I was eager to be loved by all so if my teacher had told me to build a May altar I would have built a fucking May altar yeah exactly so that's what my teacher told me to do and I did it you know mm. no regrets um but yeah and you're probably still carrying some of those blessings with you now of course of course what like this is probably why your life is so blessed because Mary's still looking down on I, you we would not be doing this podcast if Mary had not blessed us herself yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly um but she's like there's that nice young man that made me an altar when he was six i'll give him a podcast <laughs> um so so anyway uh cordelia is making little c's uh mm-hmm. for cordelia as she as she shouts out and um what happens Buffy feels a bit upset because uh, Xander and Willow are having an in-joke that Buffy's not involved in. And this this was very... This is what sometimes I worry that people think of you and me. (laughs) (laughs) Be my deputy. Be my deputy. Like, I'm a little bit, a little bit worried that this entire (laughs) podcast might be me and you. (laughs) Be my deputy. (laughs) Uh... Okay, listeners can 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 email us in. Are we insufferable? Are we be my deputy? Or or is this a fun time for you? You just sometimes forget that other people don't like know the things that you're referring to. <laughs> like, I sympathize with oh, no. I feel like there's been a couple moments at parties when we've just like maybe had a couple pints and <laughs> we've just ended up like in a room with other people where we are Willow and Xander in this room and everybody else is Buffy. <laughs> Does this mean that I'm Xander? No, you're Willow. We're both Willow. Okay, we're both Willow. That's <laughs> as, as, fine. That's fine. I'm fine with that. Um, slightly before this, though, uh, Cordelia like gives a sick burn to Buffy where she like goes up to give her a chocolate and then she says, Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't think I need the loony fringe vote. And then she leaves. Oh. Now, what's, what's interesting about this scene is not Cordelia or Buffy or Harmony, but it is the two other girls who have zero lines in this show. They are like the, the voiceless Cordettes. Yeah. And when, when, when Cordelia burns Buffy, the two of these girls look at each other, not a Cordelia, they look at each other as if to say... This is why we follow her. That's she our is our queen. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I just, I spotted that. And, and, then, and then for the rest of the show, I couldn't stop looking at those two voiceless cordettes the entire way through and how they, how they relate to Cordelia. 
Um, oh, that's I would, beautiful. I would, I would encourage you to do the same. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen these, like, oh, there's, like, certain, like, ethnography studies that, like, that people do where they, like, do like have video footage and sometimes they do a thing where they like draw lines between people's eyes to show eye contact oh well they that there'd be lines between them like yeah i feel like someone could do a really good little ethnography study of like this episode and, yeah. and like w- people's body language and where they're looking and stuff yeah, I, I actually, you know, we'll, we'll move forward into that actually in a little bit. But yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in the whole like popular invisibles binary that this episode sets uh, up in a sense, you know. Uh-huh, and and uh-huh. how it kind of complicates it with Xander and Willow because you kind of think of them as being the outcasts. But then it turns out uh-huh. that... And we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to you're it. You're right, you're right, yeah. Okay, so um, then... Uh, <coughs> Buffy goes in to see the crime scene... Uh, mm. Xander and Willow distract Snyder by talking about the the, the lawyer dad <laughs> by saying other lawyers call him the Beast, which is <laughs> one of the best Willow lines in the in the show. <laughs> beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And then so so Mitch is getting wheeled through the corridor, all beaten up, and then Buffy goes and investigates the locker room, and it says "Look" on the lockers uh-huh. in big red letters. Uh-huh. Other lawyers call him the Beast. All of the Scooby Gang are in the cafeteria. In the cafeteria, and they are drinking. Oh, I've never felt so disconnected from the past. They are drinking from disposable plastic cups with disposable pa- plastic Yeah, straws. they're like proper like McDonald's cups. Yeah. Do you remember that? Single-use plastic cups. I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I didn't really drink from a lot of them. No. But I did notice them, and it was just—it felt very American to me that they would have like it's like it's McDonald's doing their catering. To me, it just felt very the past. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just felt like it's a long time since I've seen like a group of people all drinking from plastic cups and plastic straws, which is good. Uh huh. But um, yeah, it just made me feel disconnected from the nineties. Um. So is the next thing harmony falling down the stairs? Yes, the invisible person pulls harmony down the stairs mm-hmm. and buffy hears the giggling and follows it uh-huh uh so first it's like harmony and cordelia and then we get a flashback like a sepia flashback mm-hmm. to a period some time ago which was probably like six months ago mm-hmm. uh but way in the past uh when you're a teenager i suppose yeah um of Cordelia and Harmony talking in the exact same place uh, and ignoring somebody who who says hi to them, which mm-hmm. which I'm a little bit like Marcy. You know who did? Why were you going up and saying hi to these two girls in the first place? Like I'm sorry, like I get that you were ignored and stuff, but like you know, why did she want to be their pal? Yeah, you know, like I feel like. If she'd made a bit more of an effort with Willow, Willow yeah, exactly. Like maybe this is like an incel thing. Like maybe she aimed too high. Like she thought, like no, it's not that I don't like, I I not I don't just deserve friends. I deserve the the most popular person in school to be my mm. friend. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah, like maybe if she made an effort with Willow. Maybe if she hadn't aimed so high. Maybe if incels didn't expect to have you know like 
like models for girlfriends just because they deserve them. You know. If there are any teenagers listening to this or any anyone who's in high school, just know your value. Yeah. Like work out what your net worth is and find people of equivalent popularity and, to be and, your, and, or you know, equivalent status. And that's to be your just for high school. When you leave high school, you can get a new haircut, you can <laughs> yeah. dress differently, and like honestly, you can you can you can head into like a totally different bracket. Like totally different totally, bracket. Totally, totally. Totally different bracket. But just as a survival tactic for high school. This yeah. is this is all we're saying. Just to survive high school, know your worth, know your value. But also like the less popular kids <laughs> are usually more fun anyway. Yeah. Like popular kids, they're not they're not any better. Just you know. Yeah. Know your value, pick your bracket. When you leave high school, you can reinvent yourself. Yeah. You can, like, get into techno. Ow! Don't sue. Okay, so, yeah, and Buffy follows into the, the music room and uh, doesn't find anyone, but, but gets run into. Is that not correct? Gets gets run into by by some invisible yeah. force. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting the next bit where she talks to Giles about like you know ghosts and getting run into and whatever and they, they come upon they, they decide that it's someone who's invisible mm-hmm. and and Giles immediately goes to it must be a quite heady experience to be invisible yeah and I thought that was quite interesting how they went directly to the sort of like the the the, the, the almost like psychoanalytical quality of being invisible like what that would do to someone what how that would make them feel not like what that would let them be able to do but like what that Mm. would make them want to do Uh uh-huh you know and i you're right and i just thought giles you get it you're so deep he's very deep and yeah no you're right that's that's an interesting place for them to go but it's the right place yeah it's just very correct you know and, and mm, it sets mm. up like wh- how could someone go from being just like a dull girl to being like a crazy psychopath and i can't remember why but we get we get the next flashback we get it shows marcy ross i believe her name is uh-huh in the toilets in the toilets who is played by clea duval do you know clea duval I recognised her, but I didn't know where from. Claire Duval is a queer icon. She was also in The Faculty. Okay. If you remember The Faculty. Uh, she was in a lot of like genre TV at the time. Mm. Um, and she was most recently in... Uh, oh, she played Abby's girlfriend in Broad City. Okay, maybe that's where I know her from. And she also played the wife of the Gilmore Girls girl in uh, Handmaid's Tale. That may also be where I know her so from. So she, she's a famous lesbian, you know, she yeah. is. Uh, but this was like one of her first roles. And and I just, yeah, I just love it. I just The fact that this is Clea Duval in this role uh, makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flashback sequence, again, very Lynchian. Very like, mm. you know, just very... I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it. Um, what did you think about this flashback? I didn't. I don't think I thought much about it apart from <laughs> that it worked really well. Yeah, Do you but it's, have thoughts? It's, it's painful, like the fact that she's like being ignored and she yeah. wants she wants to fit in so much and she just keeps trying and then they're like shut up and then Cordelia just steals her line anyway and then she has a little oh, laugh yeah. as if she's part of the joke but she's not part of the joke because when they leave she's just like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm. 
But things will you get. Know. I mean, things won't get better for her because she now has become an invisible become... psychopath. But if she hadn't become an invisible psychopath, then thank you for making the right choice and for showing me how much you all love me. I would love to, and I meant to do this. Uh, I wanted to go back and listen to the show again to see if I could work out what the full text of Cordelia's speech was. Mm. Because it started so strong. Mm. Where she says, thank you for showing uh, showing me how much you love and me. And for doing the right uh, thing. Being this popular is not just my right, but my, but responsibility. my responsibility. Yeah. Love it, Cordelia. So, yeah. And then, and then the bit where Buffy goes up to the attic space in, mm. the, in the music room. Um, and finds her little den mm-hmm. with like all of her stuff. And so the first thing I thought was like, what is Marcy's home situation? Mm. Like, okay, the kids at school didn't recognize her. Mm. But is this also telling us something about like, was Marcy like quite neglected at home? Oh, sad. Do her parents not miss her? You know? Because like... her parents, well, she has been reported missing. But yeah. yeah, there's something very sad going on with Marcy's home situation, I think. Yeah, I feel like if she doesn't feel seen, that maybe her parents are involved mm. in this as well, too. You know, Maybe they got divorced. Like, if, if you turned invisible because people at school were mean to you, you would go home invisibly and you'd be like, Mom, don't be scared. I'm invisible. I'm not sure why. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't just be like, oh, well, I guess I'll live in the roof of the school now. <laughs> Maybe she was already living in the roof of the school before she went invisible. Exactly. This is my point. Like, mm. I feel like we have to take in Marcy's home situation into account here. Yeah, it's very sad. And <clears throat> yeah, this is the the thing is she can still talk. So she certainly could still be communicating with people around her. But yeah. she didn't much to begin with. You know, she feels invisible. They don't see her. Um, she's become bitter and twisted and angry. Loca e invisible. <laughs> Um, but uh, so instead of just saying to people, "Hey, I'm Marcy. I've gone invisible," she tries to kill the English teacher with a plastic bag. Oh, but before that, uh-huh. she threatens to kill Buffy. Oh, so she does. And the only reason I want to bring this up is because of the particular knife that she uses. Mm. Um. Did you have any thoughts about the knife that she used? Um. It looked like. Not a standard knife. It wasn't a standard knife. I will what tell you, it? that looked like a fish filleting knife specifically. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a knife that has been sharpened so much that it has like, lost a lot of its shape. But okay. to me, that was the kind of knife that you might use to fillet some fish. Okay. And I just found that interesting that that is the knife she has up there because that doesn't mean it's a knife that she's using to cook with because you wouldn't use a fish filleting knife to just like cut some onions with. It would be actually quite hard. Um, Mm. So either she's like only eating like salmon up there. Uh Uh-huh. Or she took it as a weapon. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, she wanted... And if she did take it as a weapon, are her parents fishmongers? Well, I thought that too. And then I thought maybe the cafeteria serves fish from time to time. So they, she might have got it. But would they fillet their own fish? No, they probably wouldn't. So no. maybe, maybe her parents are fishmongers, do you know? Or maybe she just likes fish. But I just thought, you know, uh, it looked to me like a fish knife. It looked to me like a fish filleting knife. And I just wanted to recognize that. 
I'm really glad that you're bringing so much um, fish filling knowledge to this. Uh. Being this popular is not just my right, but my responsibility. So what happens next? Uh, then Marcy tries to kill Miss Miller with a plastic bag. Uh huh. Uh huh. And writes "listen" on the board in chalk. Mm hmm. So at this point, we've seen her writing "look" and "listen." Mm. And what does it mean? What does it mean? She doesn't want them to know yet. Is what uh, Buffy says. So what Buffy happens? has found Marcy's yearbook mm -hmm. in the attic. Oh yes, 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 yes. It okay. just says "Have a nice summer" lots of times. And and not only does it say that, like when it does, like it does, like a camera pan where mm -hmm. this like really deep music comes in, like doom, <laughs> like really ominous. Mm -hmm. As it looks at it, as if you're supposed to be like, this is the worst thing. Mm. And then it comes out where they all say, oh my God, she had no friends. And I was very much Giles when I yeah. first watched this because I was just yeah. a bit like, she has no friends, but everyone signed her yearbook. And I guess yeah. maybe maybe that's because we didn't have yearbooks. Like, or I don't mm. know, did you have yearbooks? Uh, no, we had everybody wrote on your shirt on the last day. Yeah, okay, like maybe someone might have written in your in your diary, which is like the thing that you, like teachers wrote in over the year or whatever. Mm. But like, yeah, we didn't have yearbooks. So the whole idea of like have a nice summer, to me that just seemed like a nice thing to write, I guess. And the thing yeah. is, I mean, not even that, like I was like seven when I was watching this for the first well, time. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't get how cruel teenagers could be. Like um, social niceties and yeah. uh, the dynamics of teenage relationships. But I, yeah. I, I do remember being incredibly confused about everyone saying she had no friends because have a nice summer is what you say when you, you, you have nothing else to say to somebody. And I didn't, I didn't believe it for years, but now I do believe it. Like now, yeah. I, now I understand how much that would hurt. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And Willow's written, "Have a great, have summer. a great summer," which is like a beautiful. She was like, "See, I cared." <laughs> <laughs> but but this is it, and and is that not when um when they find out that they had uh they classes had, with her. they had classes with her, and this is what I'm saying. This complicates. The view mm. that like Xander and Willow are the outcasts because there are people that are even more invisible than them. Yeah, but I mean, we probably could have guessed like Xander is a dick, but clearly <laughs> has pals. Yeah, and Willow is incredibly cool. We talked about this in the first episode when she's just in the bronze by herself. Like she's she's like confident. She's funny. She's got it together. She's not really that unpopular. Like, she's only, like, supposed to be unpopular because she's intelligent, but actually everybody loves her. But this reminds me of, like, there's this um, 30 Rock episode that, like, sends chills down my spine. Um, and it's the episode where Liz Lemon goes home for, like, uh, a school reunion. And she says to Jack, and she's just like, oh, no, but, like, high school was, like, the worst point in my life. And she, like, then you have these certain flashbacks of, like, girls like you know making fun of her and then Liz Lemon like mumbling and you know um 
and then Gile, uh, and then not Giles, uh, Jack is like, oh, we we should go back there and we should like show them like how successful you are and whatever. So they go back there, and then when she gets to the high school reunion, these the same girls who were the popular girls who are now like forty or whatever are just like Liz Lemon. I can't believe you're showing your face here, and she's like, well, yes, I am. You expected me to stay away, but but I'm here, and then. The girls go to her, you made our lives hell in, in school. <laughs> and then you go back to the exact same uh, flashbacks, except mm-hmm. in these flashbacks, like instead of Liz Lemon mumbling, you hear what she actually said back to them, which was like the meanest kind of things you could mm-hmm. imagine saying to someone in school. And 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 it, it's like a really good lesson about how the fact that like, you know, how self-absorbed you are in secondary mm-hmm. school and how how you see yourself as the victim but like how that can make you actually like a really awful person to other people. And that's this, very deep. That's, that's always been my like fear. Like, not that I feel like I was like bullied or, or anything in school, but you know, you, you always, everyone feels like an outcast, but then you like look back and you're like, wait, like, is there someone who thinks that I was like an asshole in school uh-huh, to them? Because uh-huh. you like to think about school as being like, oh no, everyone hated me. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, oh, that's disturbing. So yeah, the Xander and Willow thing just kind of made me think of that a little bit. Just maybe like, oh, they're not as they're not as uncool as they make out. If anyone's listening who thought that me or Osh were dicks in high school, um, you can email us. You can email us and you can let us know. Um, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll talk about it in future we'll, episodes. We'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I really hope nobody does that. Have a great summer. See, I cared. Um, so so one thing that comes up if you look on the Buffy wiki page for this for this episode is um that it says this is the first uh this is the first episode of Buffy where the um plot point revolves around something that has a scientific rather than a supernatural explanation. Ha huh. I know, right? Like I've got issues with that. <laughs> because even Though they talk about quantum physics, they quite quickly add in the hellmouth. Exactly. Like they don't So so what's the scientific thing that they say? So when how you how you it's like how you perceive things is how they become, basically. Uh, Yeah. Which doesn't sound like quantum mechanics to me. To begin with. That's not what I thought I knew, but to be fair, I know very little about quantum I know. mechanics. And so if then, anyone's listening who knows then, about quantum mechanics... And they add in the supernatural bit. And so, then they say, and also because of the hellmouth, that's why she became invisible, not just because... So so, so I'm just like, invisible. you know, there's other episodes where like, as we get to in series two, there's like a Frankenstein episode and then there's another invisible episode in like series six, but that's like an invisibility gone. And you know, like they all have like... They don't tell you the science, but they're like, this is science fiction. Like, that's kind of, you know, whereas this episode, I don't I don't think this is a scientific explanation. I'm sorry. No, I would say that the vampires are as much science as... Yeah, and then that, that actually raises the question, like, what is science? Like, science is the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Right, like, scientific method is, like, you try something, like, you know, five times and you get the same results or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and surely... If supernatural things are real, then they they obey certain laws that are mm-hmm. the same laws that the universe abides by. And mm-hmm. 
do you know, I, I, I think that raises like uh, ontological questions here for us. Just that particular claim. Yeah, I feel you. This is all about me. Me, me, me. Uh, mm. So then Cordelia runs in. Mm. And this is a big moment. Because this is when Cordelia is like yeah, 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 yeah. part of the she guy. She comes in to ask for help because she knows that there's someone after her. And she says she assumed that Buffy was in a gang. <laughs> because. That, I loved that. And that really, yeah, that and really brings that us that back comes, to LA, that doesn't it? That comes from the fact that, presumably, the fact that she <laughs> saw that Buffy had like a bunch of pointy sticks and a mace in her bag. <laughs> so she was in a gang. Yeah, but I think I think also if you will remember, like Buffy did hold her up against the wall by the throat yes. in the first episode. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like the idea of like gangs and like and Principal Snyder talks about gangs as well in like the second series quite a lot. Um, and it is quite it's quite funny, but it's very like LA nineteen ninety seven mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. gangs. Um, and uh yeah but cordelia's scene here is great she's like it's all about me 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 um for what she's right for for she says that her and buffy share this feeling deep down and i can't remember who says it if it's buffy or willow and they say nausea it's willow i remember yeah it's willow yeah um and then giles is like well i've never seen you in the library and she's like oh no i have a life and that that line but not even she doesn't even say it like as if it's a burn. She says it as if she's just like giving him yeah. the information he needs. It's such a well delivered line. It's so deadpan. I love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. Um, so yeah, Cordelia kind of joins their gang. She has a little heart to heart with Buffy about how popularity is really quite meaningless <clears throat> and it's true friendships that really matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a little bit afterwards, but um, oh, sorry. They're, they're in the they're in the um, they're in the library, and they tell her that it's this girl Marcy Ross because she like mm-hmm, scored her mm-hmm, out in the mm-hmm. yearbook and stuff. And then we go up into Marcy's hiding space, and I've got Marcy's script here. Mm. Um, I just want to read it out because I actually think that I think Clea Duval is an incredible voice actress uh-huh. in this in this episode. Um, but I love the uh, I love this bit up in the crawl space because it says Marcy maniacally. I wanted you to be coming, Cordelia. You don't remember me. I remembered you, all your idiot slut friends. I hate them. They take your life and they suck it out of you. But then they didn't see me coming. They gotta learn. <laughs> they gotta learn. <laughs> did you like that? That was really good. You did yeah. it. You did it but horrifyingly, actually. That wasn't half as good as Clea Duval does it. She does it so well, yeah. She does really it good. so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so then then we get to the heart-to-heart between Buffy and Willow. Sorry, yes. Uh, between Buffy and Cordelia. Or Buffy and Cordelia, yeah, mm. of course. And uh, this is an interesting one. And this comes back to the, the populars versus the invisibles, mm. um, where, where Cordelia really humanizes the populars, doesn't she? You know? She's like, do you think that I'm never lonely? Just because I've got all these friends and attention. And and sometimes everyone's so busy agreeing with me they don't hear a word I say. And and I'm like, you know what? Like every every moment that someone has, has said anything that you've disliked at all, you have pounced on them, Cordelia. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not buying this. Like to me, so so I will say something that like, you know, as a seven or eight year old, this episode 
humanized popular people to me. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, as I moved through school, I thought because of this, I thought back to this episode and I thought, you know what? They might have their own demons, do you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But then I thought maybe that's just popular propaganda. Maybe this was just like propaganda to like make us meek and and to 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 steal the valor of our victimhood and use it against uh-huh. us. Maybe Joss Whedon was a popular kid. I don't think he was. No, I don't, I don't think, think so either. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it just feeds into it feeds into this 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 narrative again. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It complicates the the narrative that you are expecting it to have. So you expect it to be that there's these popular kids who have been bullying Marcy and she's fighting back. And yeah, it becomes a bit like, but who is the goodie and who is the baddie? And yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's Marcy. Marcy's the baddie. So so Xander, I, I'm still not... I don't know. I haven't decided yet. So <clears throat> Xander, Willow and Giles um, hear the flute mm-hmm. and they run after it. Which is very different from what we do when we hear the flute in Northern Ireland, which is we <laughs> we run away from it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> context, Josh, context. Yeah. Uh, so when they, you they, when you play the flute in a marching band in American high school, it has a different meaning. It's very different to when you play it with the lodge. Yeah. And you know, I mean the north of Ireland rather than Northern Ireland. But anyway, so. Um, uh, they run and they try and find uh, Marcy because of this. And uh, they end up in, the, I can only call it the gas room. Yeah. Some a, sort of basement which has a lot of gas in it. Yes. Um, Marcy the boiler room. breaks the valve and they're all getting gassed out. And then, and then um, the bit uh, where... Uh, they try to break out like Xander tries to break out of the door and Giles goes no one spark and you'll take the whole building with us and this reminded me of I did you have any like fears of gas leaks when you were a kid well we had like gas leak training in school and that made me quite nervous uh-huh uh-huh so uh- we had to like go to this I can't remember where this was but we went to some kind of place where they'd set up these scenarios and we had to learn what you do in these different scenarios i think it was like run by the emergency services and one of the scenarios was that there was a gas leak and they put all these kids into the room and they were like what are you gonna do there's a gas leak and somebody always turned the light on because the light was off in this room and when the person turned the light on somebody one of the adults running this thing would jump in and pop a balloon and be like you're dead did you do the same thing no so we didn't do the training but this is exactly what i was about to talk about so Mm. we had the thing as well as like when there's a gas leak don't turn on any lights Mm -hmm. because obviously like once the light turns on you're all dead it'll ignite the gas and Mm you know, the house will explode. So um, I have like a really sensitive nose and um, our house is just like quite like, it's quite old and it's jigged out in a weird way sometimes. So there have been like kind of mild gas leaks from time mm-hmm. to time uh, just because of whatever the way the, 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 the canister was attached or whatever. And I remember like we came back from Derry one night, me and my mum. And um, this is when I was like about, 
10 years old mm-hmm. and uh and i think actually this episode of buffy might have fed into part of my fear mm. um and i smelled some gas and it was mm. just like you know it wasn't like overwhelming like oh my god this room is full of gas it was just like oh like there's like a very slow little bit of gas leaking you know like just mm. a little bit of that you know and um i said to mom like oh no like i smell i smell gas and mom was like, oh, really? Oh, okay, well, I'll go check the thing. But, like, because we just walked into the house and it was, I think, a winter sort of evening and it was, like, quite dark, my mom went over and, like, turned on the light switch. Mm. And, like, I didn't know that there was, like, certain amounts of gas you would need for the house to explode. Mm. I just knew, like, you know, you smell gas, you don't turn the light switch. So I just screamed at my mom and went, like, no! Oh! But rather than dive towards her to stop her doing it, it was a very force majeure moment where I like I ran towards the front door and I <laughs> I like dived, I literally dived towards the door, like totally preparing for the entire house to explode, and then just like landed on the floor with like my chin at the door. <laughs> and the house didn't explode. You just showed you to your mum the fact that you were I would rather escape I would rather yourself. escape with my own life than, than try you and showed save her, her where your priorities lay well I, oh. I I had made the calculation that like she had already done it yeah like, yeah you know, yeah totally like there was, was there was gone. no there was no stopping her like you ah. know, she was she was too close to that switch to ever stop so you know did she laugh at you Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think she I don't think she appreciated at the time like the the horror of my priorities, mm-hmm. you know, as a 10-year-old. <laughs> she was very forgiving. That's good. <laughs> um and then there's a bit that I think you must not have liked uh, uh which is when Oh, when Marcy and Jack's Buffy. Yeah. I didn't like that very much. No. I I wouldn't have thought you liked that bit. No. She also, Marcy, pulls Cordelia through the ceiling, revealing mm-hmm. herself to be incredibly strong. Incredibly strong. <laughs> I see right through you. But then we get to the best, do we get to the best scene possibly in the in The best show? scene in television, I think. Although we didn't, we didn't discuss the bit where she turns invisible in the classroom. Oh, that was also good. That was yeah. another flashback scene, right? Yeah, yeah, this was like, and then you see how Xander and Willow were part of the process that made mm-hmm. her invisible because they're like answering questions and, and Marcy's just like getting like ignored by the teacher the whole time and mm. then suddenly she she turns invisible in the middle of class and nobody sees it. And interestingly, definitely not Cordelia who ultimately turns her invisible. Exactly. Cordelia's not on the scene, but Cordelia signifies, like she's yeah. like the opposite because she is like the most... She's like the most seen person. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, okay, that I mean if there's not that much to say about that, there's not. But I just thought we should we should bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um so we're in we're in the bronze. Mm-hmm. Uh describe the tableau to us, Sadie. So Buffy and Cordelia are I mean, I can only describe it as they're on thrones. <laughs> and the thrones have been kind of twisted. There's like this kind of like Christmassy tinsel material twisted around these thrones. There's a lot of glitter in this scene. There's like curtains and glitter. And in golden glitter, Marcy has daubed on the wall l- the word learn. 
Oh, and I actually have another thing to say here. Um, the establishing shot of the bronze mm-hmm. has um, a blackboard that says close for fumigation. They just fumigated like wow, three episodes ago. Yeah. Like they have like a really intense cockroach problem. <laughs> they do. I mean, did you see before the fumigate the pre-fumigation party though, there are like cockroaches in the drinks, there's cockroaches yeah. everywhere. So they do have a big a big problem with cockroaches. But they were the like ground. close for pu- fumigation and they were presumably opening that evening for like the May Queen thing, so mm. anyway. <clears throat> yeah, uh... serious cockroach issues. So Cordelia uh, can't feel her mm-hmm. face. Marcy's numbed it. She has numbed it. She's used a local mm-hmm. anesthetic. Um, In order to stop Cordelia from fainting. So she doesn't mm-hmm. want her to feel pain. She just wants her to be mutilated. Yes, she's she doesn't kind wa- in a way. Well, she doesn't, she doesn't, it's not that she doesn't want her to feel pain. She doesn't want her to pass out. That's what she said. Yeah, she wants her to be awake, doesn't she? And oh, the line she has. She's just like, your face, that's what it's all about. Your beautiful face. And and the bit she says, she says, I'm going to give you a face no one will ever forget. Yeah. It's, it is. It's glorious. Ch- chilling and glorious. Absolutely glorious. Um, And she says to Buffy, like, oh, you know, you should have said it in my way. Uh, what are you going to do? Slay me. Um, but but then it's what she says to Cordelia. She keeps going on about this like face that's going to be like, you know, remember forever. She's just like, you should be grateful. Um, people who pass you on the street are going to remember you for the rest of their lives. Children are going to dream about you. Like this, this, I have to say like this line like really haunted me. Mm. I have to say it's just so threatening and insane and I fucking love it and 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 I I, I mean I love Cordelia but like I understand Marcy I understand yeah. her pain you know what mm. I mean like mm. but she is basically a female incel she is yeah <laughs> you know like <laughs> like that is that is like the, the function she's performing here she's both the worst and the best yeah yeah <laughs> like she is the victim of the system but also, yeah, she has gone crazy. But I, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's, it's interesting who's allowed vengeance, what is righteous, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, and then she says that she's going mm. to give Cordelia a Glasgow smile. For people who are not familiar with this, this is like a Glasgow gang thing where people would slit their cheeks to give them a Glasgow smile, a bigger, uh-huh. a bigger smile. Like, why so serious style? And also the Joker, yeah. Yeah, but no, Glasgow smile first. Glasgow had it first, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but but her voice acting in this scene is incredible. Like, she's so, like, she's so sassy and sinister. And her voice just is like a total character in itself. Like, mm. just the way she's just like... The way she's talking to them, the way she's like kind of dragging her voice through her throat mm. as she speaks, it's just it's just beautiful. Like I have to say, like Cleo Duval, yeah. you did incredible in this. Uh, she's in this beautiful role. in this role. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, but Buffy, you know, no match for Buffy. Mm-hmm. She gets out of her throne, and mm-hmm. she eventually does a sort of a. Uh, I don't know, like kind of meditation uh, thing where mm. she, she figures out where Marcy is. Because she has to fight her even though she's invisible. That's the big challenge here. Yeah. She's used to fighting people she can see. And also Marcy turns out to be pretty good at fighting. 
Well, I mean, she's she's. I think I don't know if she's that good at fighting. I think she's just invisible, and if you don't well, know yeah. what, if you don't know what someone's about to do, although but she packs a good punch as well. Like honestly, if she I was, was able, invisible, I she still would be she very was good able, at she, she was able to like lift Cordelia into yeah. the roof. Yeah, um, if I was invisible and I had to punch someone in the face, I would still do a pretty shit punch. <laughs> uh, well, okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But um, it doesn't take much to knock. Marcy out once she knows where she no, is. No, that's true. So she pulls a curtain onto her, which makes her visible, and then she's able to knock her out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Angel saves uh, Giles, Xander, and Willow from the Gasville basement. Oh yeah, we should mention that they're all alive now. Yeah, so they're um, all alive. We're all saved. But Buffy uh, fights Marcy. Marcy gets. Um, uh, oh no! Well, how does Marcy get done? She gets done because the the fucking FBI turn up. Yeah. And and they say that they're they're gonna rehabilitate her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which which will will return to very briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like the first sign in Buffy that like the institutions know mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. about you know the, the hellmouth and that hellmouth and supernatural occurrences. Mm-hmm. And... We're gonna make her a useful member of society. Yes. Very useful. But the way that the the way that they're drawn is very X Files, which would have been big at the time. Mm, Do you not think mm-hmm. so? Like the way they speak and the way they're dressed and the way mm. like it seemed to me like super X Files. Like mm. it, it seemed like a really obvious reference to the X Files mm. to me. Oh and uh, have a nice day. And uh, you know, everything's back to normal. But then we find out what happened to Marcy. Yes, and this is such a beautiful ending to the episode. It really is, and it's very it? like it's not in keeping with a lot of Buffy politics mm. or episodes. But Marcy gets ushered into a classroom with presumably lots of other invisible boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, are at, they all at FBI headquarters? We presume? yeah, like are they all from the Hellmouth? We don't know. Yeah, well, but there's there's been a kind of implication that actually this happens quite often that people mm-hmm. disappear in high school and become well, invisible. Well, as we learn as we move forward through Buffy, there's also a Hellmouth in Cleveland. So Oh, okay, okay. You know, there may be a few Hellmouths. Yeah. It might be yeah. just like, you know, like 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 uh you know like how there's lots of like um gaps in the plates of yeah. the earth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but uh she opens a book and then it's like, oh, uh, infiltration and assassination. Mm. And I thought this like calls back quite nicely to the discussion we had about the Monroe Doctrine because mm. um, I immediately, I know it says like example radical cult leader for someone mm-hmm. to, to, to assassinate, but I immediately was just like, they would send this girl down to Cuba to try and kill Fidel, wouldn't they? They mm. would send this girl down to Brazil to kill Lula, like you know, mm-hmm. like it wasn't. It wouldn't be radical cult leaders that the FBI are trying to infiltrate and assassinate. It would be socialist leaders. Yeah, I'm sorry, do you know. Mm. Um, so that's a very dark. That's a very dark possible future for for Marcy. I have to say, mm. she's into it though. She is super into it. Yeah. 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 I think it's well, kind of a happy ending for her. For her, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, she, she wanted. She finds her purpose. She feels seen. She feels valued. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all deserve that, you know. She's going to have some invisible friends. But is this episode, is this episode like popular propaganda? Or is this episode in favor of the invisibles? Or is it somewhere in between? I think ultimately in between. Because, I mean, the people that we're really supposed to be on the side of are Buffy, Willow and Xander, right? Maybe not Xander. Buffy and Willow. Yeah. And uh, they're very much in between the populars and the invisibles. Yeah. And I mean, but they're all just talking about Marcy being crazy the whole time. And I'm sorry, like, okay, I guess she is crazy, but is she crazy? I, you know, I just, I just think, and there's like, there's a lovely bit, like they really ham it on when, when in this like bronze scene at the end, because she doesn't just say to Buffy, like, I thought you'd understand. She says, I thought you'd understand my vision. Aha. Uh-huh. Which is, you know, like, I mean, okay, that is a crazy person thing to say. But, uh, you know, they, they talk about her being crazy quite a lot in a way that sort of dismisses her pain, I think. And, mm. and, and I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I I'm not sure. You. I'm not sure how I stand about this. Um, which is why it's such a great episode. I mean, I think this is one of the finest. This, this shows what Buffy Series 1 can be. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's got Cleo Duval. It's got Cordelia. It's got glitter. It's got glitter. It's got tinsel. It's got flashback sequences. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful episode. I have to say, I just, I love it. I love it so much. Full marks. Full marks to this episode. We salute you.